0: i Holy Spirit, one
1: God, Amen. Today is the third Sunday of Hathur, and the Gospel today, our Lord Jesus Christ is telling us the cost of being a disciple. If we are going to actually and truly follow Christ, we have to consider the cost of that and to put Him above everything else. It's an interesting thing. Salvation is, at the same time, absolutely free and costs everything. You receive it freely at no expense to you. But once you receive it, you have committed everything you have and everything you are to Christ. It's like a good analogy that I think about sometimes. Like if I want to be sort of an Olympic gold medalist, like in track or something like that, there's no entry fee or anything like that to get into the Olympics. You don't have to pay for uh, the gold medal and they give it to you. Uh, they'll give it to you for free. But on the other hand, the commitment, the time, the dedication it takes to actually get that medal costs not just a lot, it costs everything. Those athletes have like a singular focus and train for years to perform for maybe you know 10 seconds. So you think about the 100 meter dash. They, they train for years and years and years and years, and then the actual race is less than 10 seconds long. Our Lord Jesus Christ offers freely salvation, offers the water of life to everyone who thirsts. But We need to understand that when we receive His free offer, we are no longer our own. The scripture says that we have been bought at a price. So, in order to really follow Christ, we have to consider the cost and not begin to follow Him just in a superficial way, only to turn back later when things get hard or things are tough. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ is warning about in the Gospel this morning. So the first thing He is wanting to say is, it's possible for us to follow Christ in a superficial way. The first verse that we read this morning says, Now great multitudes went with Him, and He turned and said to them, We measure success sometimes by numbers. But our Christ is different. When He has a loud, large crowd, that doesn't fool Him. He knew that there were many who were following Him for selfish or superficial reasons. It was maybe like the exciting thing to do at the time. But Jesus Christ is not some sort of like false recruiter. He doesn't just want numbers. When He sees a multitude, what does He do? All of a sudden, He says words to almost like to reduce the multitude, to show them the seriousness of what they're doing. He wanted to weed out those who were following him for superficial reasons. Because he knew, sort of when the battle heated up, when spiritual warfare grew, he knew that they would fall away and they would cause damage to themselves and and, and for uh, others around them. So he turned to the great multitude and he told them, here are the demands of being a disciple. He sees all of these people and he says, let me tell you what it really means to follow me. It's not just following me around and listening to nice words that I have to say, or good parables or good stories. So it's definitely possible for us to follow Christ in a superficial way. And for those of us who might be inclined to follow Christ in this way, this is why He lays out the cost of discipleship. He knows that the spiritual warfare, the battle is going to be intense. He doesn't want to bring anyone along or recruit anyone under false pretenses. To say like, you know, I didn't know it was going to be like this. So I have to be careful, am I following Christ superficially? To follow Christ in a true way, I need to consider the cost of doing that. Before we look at the cost that our Lord Jesus Christ spells out, think for a moment about just even the phrase, sit down and count the cost. When he's talking about the guy who is building the tower and then sit down and consider. When he's talking about the king who is going to war uh, with another army or with another kingdom. Both are referring to sort of careful, detailed, rational thinking to consider sort of all aspects of what I'm getting myself into before making commitment. This is the kind of careful thinking is opposed to or as opposed to uh, impulsive decision making made like sort of in a moment of intense emotion, without much thought, without much consequences. So I have to consider the cost of following Christ. And our Jesus Christ, He specifies three specific costs for us. First, He says, we must hate our families and ourselves. This is a verse actually that often confuses people. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Why does God who says we should love our enemies also tell us we should hate our families? And doesn't the scripture tell us in another place, no man has ever hated his own flesh? But then he says, you have to hate your own life. Is our Lord Jesus Christ being contradictory here? Of course not. But he puts it in these terms sort of for for shock value, to get us to stop and think about the, the large demand that he is making. He means that our allegiance and love for Him must be so great that by comparison, our love for our families and even for our own lives looks like hatred. Normally, in an ideal situation, there is no conflict between loving Christ and loving the members of our family. But sometimes there is a tug of war that develops where a family member puts pressure on us to back off from or even to abandon the law of Christ. In those difficult situations, we do not actually love Christ or that family member in a true way if we give in to this pressure. We don't love the family member because if we bow to this pressure, we are saying that Christ is not worthy of being followed above all others. And we keep the the family member themselves from seriously considering the claims of Christ. We don't love Christ because we've put a, 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 a sinful human being who did not give himself up for our sins in a higher place than the spotless Lamb of God who freely offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. When our Lord Jesus Christ says that we must hate even our own lives, again, he means in comparison with our love for Him. Normally, when we follow Christ, he lovingly gives us the desire of our hearts. That's what the, the the Psalms say, Psalm 37 says this. He gives us joy and pleasure. But there are times when it is easy to give in to sort of like immediate gratification of the flesh and then hard to obey Christ. The true disciple thought about this. Thought through about this in advance and is committed to following Christ. So the first specific cost that we have to be willing to prioritize Christ above our families, and above ourselves. The second specific cost that he says, we must carry our own cross. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The cross, in case anybody is not clear, is not a tool just for irritation or inconvenience. The cross is an implement of slow and, and, and torturous death. Our Lord Jesus Christ here is looking at the process of daily death to our selfish desires, and the willingness to bear reproach for His name's sake. Since our Savior suffered rejection and suffered agony on the cross, if we follow Him, we have to be prepared for the same treatment. If people hate us for being Christians, we have to bless them in return. We should never do anything, of course, to provoke persecution. But if we suffer for the sake of righteousness we have to entrust our souls to a faithful God in doing what is right. If we aren't involved in the process of carrying our own cross and denying ourselves and death to ourselves we're not on the path of being a disciple of Christ. We are not a true disciple of Christ. We are a superficial disciple. By the way we are now in these times entering into a period of time in the world where this is a very real and distinct reality for us we are more and more no longer living in a society in which general christian principles and values that we take for granted are assumed when we take a stance to say living with your partner before marriage is against god's commands that marriage is between a man and a woman that spending my weekends drinking and getting drunk is sin that abortion is the killing of innocent children, we should very much expect to be persecuted for saying these things. These things are not what is quote-unquote normal to say nowadays. Because because we fear persecution or we fear the ridicule of, of those around us, sometimes we're reluctant to share our opinion or the opinion of Scripture on these things. But we need to count the cost. Uh, Let me be clear. I'm not saying we should be sort of crass or combative with people who disagree with us. But at the same time, we should not fear sharing our views in a loving way, most especially when we're confronted. If this causes us to be ostracized, if this causes us to be persecuted, then I remember the words of Christ. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It should be a source of joy that I am mocked, that I am made fun of, that I am persecuted for maintaining biblical truths. The third specific cost that our Lord Jesus Christ says that we must be willing to give up all our possessions. He says, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be My disciple. So after telling those two parables about considering the cost before making a commitment, he says, if you are not willing to give up everything, you can't be my disciple. Does this mean, does our Lord Jesus Christ mean, literally, we must get rid of everything we have and everything we own and take a vow of poverty in order to be a Christian? That must not be the case. So what does he mean? Let me sort of illustrate it by looking at a parable that Christ tells us about the kingdom of heaven. He says that he talks about the story of the the pearl of great price. And the parable is actually very short in the gospel. He says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So, if you can imagine with me to sort of expand that parable for a little bit, a man sees this pearl and says to the guy, You know, I want this pearl. How much does it cost? He says, It's very expensive. I said, okay, well, I want it. How much is it? I want to buy it. And, and the merchant, he goes, yeah, okay, anyone can buy it. Everybody can have it. But he said, yeah, well, I thought you said it was very expensive. And he said, well, I did say it was very expensive. So the, so the guy is thinking to himself, okay, well, how much is it? And he says, well, it's going to cost everything you have. And he says, okay, I'll buy it. So the, so the merchant says, okay, what do you have? He says, well, I have $10,000 in the bank. And so the merchant says, good, $10,000, what else? He goes, that's all I have. He's like, well, do you have anything else? He says, well, I have maybe a few dollars in my pocket. He's said, good, I'll take those. He's like, do you have anything else? And the guy who's trying to buy it says, no, what do you mean? I don't have anything else. And the seller goes, well, where do you live? He goes, I live in a house. He says, okay, I want the house, it's mine. He goes, where do you expect me to sleep? In my car? He goes, oh, you have a car? It's mine. And he goes, okay, well, what else? Is that enough? He's like, no, do you have anything else? He goes, well, you, you took my money, you took my house, you took my car. Where's my family going to live? He says, oh, you have a family. He's like, yeah, I have a wife and I have three kids. Well, they're mine now. I want those two. And suddenly the, 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 the merchant is saying, you know, I almost forgot. Actually, I need you as well. Everything is mine. Your children, your wife, your house, your money, your cars, and yourself. And he says, you know, I'm going to allow you to have these things for the time being, but do not forget that they are mine. Just like you are mine. And whenever I need any of them, you have to give them up. Because I am now the owner. You are just the steward. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ means when He says that we must give up all our possessions in order to be His disciple. He isn't just the Lord of our tithing. We have a hard time even giving our tithes to God. The 10% of our income that God asks us to give to Him, we are sometimes reluctant to give. We are commanded by Him to give 10%. But what He's saying here in the New Testament is that it is much more than even that. Yes, I need to give my tithe, but I am not just the owner of your tithe. I am the Lord of all. We are just managers or stewards of it for Him. Of course, in return, we gain all the riches of heaven for all eternity. But still, we need to sit down, we need to determine, if we're willing to follow our Lord Jesus Christ, are we gonna allow Him to be in control and Lord of everything, from our families to our possessions to our own lives? The last thing I want to mention is we have to consider the cost. We've talked a lot about considering the cost of following Christ. If I follow Him, these are the things that I need to do. Are these things that I'm going to have to do? One of the things that I should think about to consider the cost of not following Christ. If I decide to follow Christ and go back on my commitment, people will ridicule me as they would mock the person who started to build a tower and then couldn't finish it. It's a, you know, you can say like he claimed to be a Christian, but look at him now. You know, he's not, he's not acting as he says he would. Or we will face sort of the damaging effects of being defeated by the enemy because we didn't consider the intensity of the battle in which we are facing. And Satan loves when uh, the testimony of Christians is ruined because they did not consider the demands of fallen Christ in this evil world. Our Lord Jesus Christ, He uses this third illustration to show us the cost of not following Him. He says, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? The salt in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ was often corrupted by other substances. If moisture, for example, hit the salt, it would evaporate, and it would leave behind these sort of impure minerals. So the salt kind of lost its saltiness. It's worthless. It doesn't have any useful purpose, and had to be thrown away. Our Lord Jesus Christ says that if a follower of His doesn't live the way he ought to live, he's useless to God. He's thrown out. So I follow our Lord Jesus Christ by putting Him above everything else in life so that I can be useful to God. That's the last thing that we have to consider. To follow Christ truly, we have to put everything above, everything has to be put below Him. Christ has to be above everything else in my life. Our Lord Jesus Christ is asserting His Absolute supremacy and authority In this passage And actually that tells us a lot About who Christ is No mere man Could rightly claim That everyone has to hate their closest family members In comparison to their love for him If someone talked like that We would call them a cult leader Unless it was God In human flesh What person Could tell his followers Follow him to death There have been people who have led cults to their death, and we label them as delusional. But our Lord Jesus Christ could do it because He is God. What man could tell people to give up all their possessions for his sake? There have been cult leaders that require of their followers to give everything that they have, and we rightly label them as false. But our Lord Jesus Christ can do so with authority because He is God. He alone deserves to be first above everything in our lives, because He is God who willingly offered Himself on the cross for our sins. Our Lord Jesus Christ's words today are tough, they're hard, they're sobering, and we often fall short. But we have to work honestly to apply these things to our hearts. Is there any relationship in your life that comes ahead of Christ? If he is first, then obviously you'll be spending consistent time alone with him, in in his word, in prayer, You will be seeking to be with Him daily. You won't allow any other relationship to draw you away from obedience to Him. You will repent and confess of every sin that hinders my relationship and my fellowship with Him. He is then the God of my plans, my thoughts, of everything that I do. Or in contrast, do I selfishly cling to my own plans, to my own way? Instead of seeking to please Him in all the things that I'm doing, beginning even with every thought that I entertain. If you don't hate your own life and daily carry your cross, you're not His disciple. Is He the God of my finances and my possessions? Am I faithful in managing these things for His purposes? Do I give generously and faithfully to His work? Or could the love of money be choking out the word in my life? Salvation is absolutely free. But once I receive it, it costs me everything. To truly follow Christ, we have to consider the cost and put Him above everything. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.